0: I'm your host, Jeff AJ, and this is where I introduce you to amazing people, just like you, who are doing great things in the world that I think you should know about. So today's guest, I actually met as a summit interview so if you're familiar with my work i host summits the truth about weight loss summit and more recently the gi health summit and when i was interviewing one of the many gastroenterologists for the summit they were talking about certain gi conditions that respond very well to pelvic floor physical therapy so of course leaving no stone unturned i had to seek out a pelvic floor physical therapist to talk about what the previous gastroenterologist was talking about and as i was interviewing her And another physical therapist from the same company, they were just so wonderful with their information. And I said, I can't wait. You have to come on my regular show and talk about something else. And they've both agreed. And we have the first today. Her name is Mandy Menino. She's a doctor of physical therapy. And she's going to be talking about something that a lot of people aren't comfortable talking about. But hey, let's face it, it exists. It's incontinence and how pelvic floor physical therapy can it. I know that when I broke my back, I had become an incontinent. And it's no fun, but it's reality. And Thank goodness there are things we can do about it. So please welcome to the show, Mandy Menino. Thanks so much for taking your time on your day off to help people with this problem.
1: Yes. Thank you so much, Chef AJ, for having us and for, you know, just getting this information out there because we are very passionate about sharing what we do here at Sarton Physical Therapy and Pelvic Floor Physical Therapy. So I'm going to get started by sharing my screen and.
0: Hey, What's your t-shirt say first? Because it's adorable. Oh, yes.
1: Yeah let me um sorry now i can't see (laughs) so adore your pelvic floor um and this is kind of our motto and we really want people to embrace um, the culture that we um, live in here
0: i bet you mandy there's a lot of people that don't know what a pelvic floor is or that they even had one
1: absolutely so that's something we'll be getting into here all right so i just want to make sure you can see my screen chef aj correct okay great um, so yes, I am Mandy. I'm one of the physical therapists here at and Physical Therapy. Um, and I'm gonna to talk to you today about incontinence and the relationship to the pelvic floor. Okay, so I just wanna start with some alarming statistics because I think people don't realize what a big problem this really is. So four out of every 10 women suffer from incontinence at some point in their life, one out of every 10 men. Um, It's also very common in children, 17% of children under 15 year old, 15 um, suffer with this. Um, Looking at the athletic population, we kind of think, oh, they're exempt from this, they're very strong, they're athletic, but research shows 28% of male and female athletes between 18 and 21 years old are going to experience stress incontinence. Um, I was a college athlete. Looking at these numbers, it's alarming. I start thinking back and wondering how many of my teammates maybe had this issue and were too embarrassed to talk about it. And then as a whole, looking at Americans, over 25 million Americans suffer from urinary incontinence. So it's a major problem um, and we need to get it addressed um, with pelvic health PT. Okay, so looking at incontinence, and you'll hear me say this a lot, it's common but it's not normal. And we cannot accept as as a society that this is a normal. Um, It's a very hidden problem. People are embarrassed to talk about it. Nobody wants to be at a party, a social gathering, talking about how they're peeing their pants. Um, Many physicians don't ask. And so it just kind of goes untreated It's this silent thing that you're dealing with inside on your own. Um, It's socially, psychologically devastating. And a very big statistic and something I really want everybody to take home from this is over 60% of people are in skilled nursing facilities because of incontinence. So when we think about incontinence, let's think about people that are falling, they're getting up frequently at night, um, leading to falls, fractures, Um, when you're sitting in a wet pad, a wet diaper all day, talking about increased UTIs. Um, skin infections, and then also just the anxiety and depression that goes along with this. And I see it every day with my patients. Um, It just affects them every every aspect of their life, whether it's their home life, their personal life, their work life, um, socially with their friends, they can't do what they want to do because they're literally afraid they're going to pee their pants or they do pee their pants and they're wearing diapers or pads to help kind of offset that. So there's a few types of incontinence. The most common type is stress incontinence. This is when you're getting a leakage when you're coughing, you're sneezing, laughing, or physical exertion. Say you're jumping, running, um, any doing any kind of those high intensity um, boot camp type type of activities, which are really common these days. Um, the second most common is urge. So this is when you're getting a strong and very sudden urge. You feel like, oh my gosh, I have to go now. I can't make it to the bathroom in time. Um, So you don't have an ability to hold it. It's a very strong urge and you have to go now. And then there's mixed incontinence. That's a combination of the stress and the urge. And then overflow incontinence is less common. Um, It's an involuntary release of the urine um, due to an overfull urinary bladder. Um, It often comes in the absence of any urge to urinate. So it's an overflow, a retention problem. So looking at risk factors for urinary incontinence. So for women, looking at um, childbirth. So how many children have you had? Did you carry multiples? Um, What was the birth weight? So higher birth weight, more likely. Looking at those third and fourth degree tears and episiotomies. Um, Looking at surgeries, gynecological, neurological, and then menopause, low estrogen. This is also gonna affect um, women who have low estrogen Women who are pregnant, women who are still breastfeeding, um, individuals that have chronic constipation or straining. If they're always bearing down, they're always um, putting increased stress on their pelvic floor muscles, um, which can lead to that urinary incontinence. People with chronic coughs or asthma, there are even medications, side effects um, contribute to urinary incontinence. So looking at your diuretics, your antidepressants, your pain medications, um, and for men, BPH. Also looking at risk factors, obesity, age, um, and with age, again, that decreased estrogen, decreased vascularity. um, So making the tissue is not as strong and tensile for it. Um, Looking at genetics, occupational factors, cancer, or the side effects of cancer therapy, and then smoking. So many people consider their toileting habits normal, but are they? All the viewers out there, I want you to just kind of listen to these questions, raise your hand and say, yes, if this is something that applies to you. Um, Do you urinate more than five to seven times on a normal day? Are you waking up at night to go to the bathroom more than once? Are you rushing to the bathroom for fear that you're not gonna make it there in time? Um, Do you worry about finding a bathroom when you're not at home? And do you wear a pad because you have some urine loss? If you answered yes to any of those, It is not normal. It is common, but not normal. And we can help. Um, A few additional questions. When you are going to the bathroom, are you passing at least a cup of urine? So looking at a cup of urine, a normal void is between 300 and 400 um, mLs. One coffee cup is about 250, just to kind of give you a little bit of a view on what that would be. Um, Do you urinate easily without straining? Do you urinate without stopping and starting the flow? Is urinating painless, a comfortable thing to do? If you say no to those questions, again, it is not normal. It may be common, but not normal. And there is help. So kind of to reiterate what normal is, five to seven voids a day, three to four hour intervals. For looking at nighttime voids. If you're under 65, um, you should be going to the bathroom once or less per night. If you're over 65, one to two times a night is normal. And if you're pregnant one to two nights, Um, times per night is normal. And again, you should be avoiding at least half your bladder, which is about that eight ounces, that coffee mug. Um, Your urine stream should last for about 15 to 20 seconds. So kind of thinking about, do I have this little trickle? Does it start and stop? Um, Or is it a nice continuous stream um, is what we're looking for. Okay, so I'm gonna stop sharing my screen here. I have a little visual for you guys to go through um, what bladder, looking at bladder capacity. So bring in my little my little jars here. Okay, so my first jar here, just for kind of a visual, is between about 150 and 200 milliliters. So this is when you get your first sensation that you may have to go to the bathroom. Um, this is when your bladder is 40% full. So first sensation, the next jar is 350 milliliters. This is when you get that first urge. Like you really feel like, Ooh, I could go to the bathroom. Um, this is when your bladder is 70 to 75% full. And then the last jar is a full capacity. This is a hundred percent full for your bladder. It's going to range between 400 and 600 milliliters, depending on the individual. Um, but just looking at, If we're starting to go to the bathroom when we only have this much urine, but this is how much our bladder can hold, then we're retraining our brain to think this is normal when in fact, we want to have a full bladder when we're voiding. We'll talk a little bit more about this as we go on. Um, I wanted to give you guys that visual for right now. Okay. Let me reshare my screen here. Whoops. And then just... Talking about the events of voiding, obviously you want to get to a toilet. Your pelvic floor muscles should relax. So you should not be pushing out urine. As that pelvic floor muscle, as they um, relax, the bladder will contract. Um, And then we want to look for a complete um, empty. It's normal to have a small amount of urine between 50 and 100 milliliters left in your bladder after you void, but if you're having a greater amount than that, um, and you're finding you're going to the bathroom frequently after and there's just a lot left, then that's something we can talk to your doctor about getting a post-void residual test done. So, looking at the bladder, there are a lot of things that can irritate it. And when I say it, they irritate it, it can cause you to have to go to the bathroom more frequently. It can cause pain, discomfort. It can, you know, re, um, contribute to that urgency type of symptoms. So, looking at common bladder irritants alcohol, um, any carbonated beverage, chocolate, which I know can be tough for some, coffee. This is a huge one. I see such a relationship between um, coffee and bladder irritation. And so for some people, um, even decaf is too much for them. They can't tolerate it. Other people find if they are cutting down, maybe they were drinking three or four cups of coffee a day. Now they're down to one or two, that that has been enough to help ease their symptoms for others. They have to completely cut it out. And I know that that's a very difficult choice. Um, For some people, taking coffee, going down to a tea would be a little easier. For others, teas are still going to irritate their bladder. So everybody is different on how severe these irritants are going to affect them. Um, And so figuring out for you personally what your triggers are is going to be a big one. And spicy foods, also a big bladder irritant. When then looking at um, additionally bladder irritants and then things that are causing increased urinary frequency, so concentrated urine. And we'll talk a little bit more about this later um, because this is an important aspect of it. Um, and then fruits are common irritants. So, apples, cantaloupe, all your citrus fruits, um, grapes, guava, peaches, strawberries, um, the acidity of tomatoes, vinegar, vitamin B, and then just thinking about all those sugar substitutes um, are going to c- contribute to increased irritation. <clears throat> So how can these bladder irritants affect my symptoms? Um, Bladder irritants, it's gonna, again, depend on the severity of your symptoms. So what bladder irritants can do, they irritate the detrusor muscle. It's a smooth muscle sitting on the inside of the bladder and it can cause it to spasm. Now, when the spasm of the muscle happens, it can result in increased urgency. So it can make you feel like you have to go to the bathroom even in the absence of a full bladder. So that's when we come back to this small jar, when you're getting that first sensation, you feel like you have to go to the bathroom, but you don't have a full bladder. So it's tricking you into thinking you have to go when in fact you do not have a full bladder to go. So it's also gonna lead to increased frequency of urination, um, pelvic floor muscle spasm, and worsening of incontinence symptoms due to increased bladder pressure. So what can you do to decrease the effects bladder irritants have on your symptoms? There's a lot that we can do um, as far as diet and um, related symptoms that we can do to help help improve this. So decreasing the amount of bladder irritants is going to be a big one. For some people, they're going to be um, having to completely avoid those bladder irritants, like I was talking about. For others, they can make those little substitutions or have them in small amounts and still be okay. Um, if you're going to be having a bladder irritant, so you're drinking a coffee or tea, Um, a good thing is to dilute it afterwards. So drink a lot of water directly after, it's gonna help dilute the irritant, decrease the impact of the irritant on your bladder, which will then decrease your symptoms um, for you. So how much, what kind? You wanna drink at least 64 ounces of water um, a day, or fluid per day. Specifically, we wanna be looking at water You wanna be drinking half your body weight in ounces is a good rule of thumb. Two thirds of that should be water. Um, And then obviously thinking about if you're out in high heats, it's been really warm here lately, you need to be drinking a little bit more water. You're doing a really high intensity workout. You're sweating a lot. You need to be drinking a little bit more water. We need to keep you hydrated um, because we don't want that concentrated urine, which is a bladder irritant. Okay. So looking at urge suppression, um, this is a huge educational piece that we go through with our patients. Um, so that way they understand what they're supposed to do when they get a strong urge. Um, so looking at when you get an urge and you think you're not going to make it in time, you see these people, right? They're like standing up and they're running off. They're like, oh my gosh, I have to go to the bathroom this second. I cannot wait a single second. Um, the first thing to do relax for a minute. Don't panic. When you get in that very, um, 10 step state, um, that really fight or flight, that sympathetic nervous system, your body's in a panic. You're trying to get to the bathroom. You want to take a, a deep breath. Um, we want to think about contracting the pelvic floor muscles. So doing a Kegel and I'll go through how to do that with you guys next. Uh, but you're going to do a Kegel, a few quick flicks, and then you're going to try to relax. If the urge is suppressed, You're going to slowly, keyword slowly, walk to the bathroom. You're not running, you're not rushing to get there. Um, Say, as you're going to the bathroom, maybe it was further away, you're not at home. Um, Stop again if you get another urge while you're there. Stop again, do a couple more of those quick flicks um, of that kegel and then proceed to slowly walk to the bathroom. Now, um, to even work further on urge suppression, once you get to the toilet and you sit down, try to wait another five to 10 seconds before you're going to actually start the urination. Um, This is gonna help you gain more control. We want you to be able to take control of this urination problem um, and learn how to use urge suppression techniques to then get your bladder retrained that this is a full bladder and not this. So in the event that your kegels don't seem to be working for you, you can try more of a diaphragmatic breath, focusing more on your breathing for relaxation, um, but the key is don't panic. Okay. And then looking at the Kegel. So a kegel, a, a little bit of information about it, and then we're gonna go in how to do it. So, There was a study done that showed that when you're giving a verbal cue to a woman on how to do a Kegel, only 50% of women are doing it correctly. Um, There was a more recent study done in 2018. They gave a number of different cues and trying to see how effective it was for people to um, do a Kegel. And so it went anywhere from 50% up to the 85 to 90%. Um, so this was the number one cue, which was squeeze your anus. And so with that, they found that that was the most effective for people to correctly do a pelvic floor muscle contraction the first time. So I've heard time and time again from my patients, they tell me, oh no, I, I do my Kegels. I, you know, I learned them somewhere else, or I learned online. But when I actually look at how they're doing them, um, they, they're they doing them incorrectly. And so that's, again, what our research is showing us. And so that's, again, why it's so important to get into a skilled pelvic floor physical therapist to teach you how to do these. We want to be coordinating it with your breath and your other core muscles. So looking at the picture on the screen here and you're talking about um, how our core, our pelvic floor works. Um, we have what we call a canister. So at the top, you have your diaphragm, the bottom, those muscles of the pelvic floor in the front, your transverse abdominus, and in the back, those tiny little muscles, um, along your spine called your multifidi. These muscles serve as your canister. They're your, sh- your core stability. Um, and so we want them all working together as a unit, as a team to help support Um, your pelvic floor and to support you as um, with everyday movements and activities. So we're gonna go through a Kegel here. So everybody can either do it sitting down or standing up. I am gonna stand up just so it'll be a little bit easier for you guys to see. But when we're doing a Kegel, we're gonna use our fingers. We're gonna put it um, on the space of our perineum. So our perineum sits for women between our vaginal opening and our anus. Um, In the center of that, you have what's called your perineal body. So kind of thinking back a little bit, this is where women typically tear when they're going through childbirth, or if they've had an episiotomy, this is where they've been cut. So even whether you're a new mom or whether you're postpartum 20, 30, 40 years, um, if you had tearing, if you had um, an episiotomy, there is going to be a change in your perineum if it's never been addressed. So using your two fingers. You're going to reach right in between your right on that perineum so in between your vaginal opening and your anus and then you're going to be looking at a squeeze and a lift or in this study as they found the most effective squeeze your anus so you're going to be doing a deep breath in on the exhale you're going to do a squeeze and a lift and so really feeling um, using your fingers you're going to be able to feel that perineal move. So that's looking at that lift to make sure that you are getting a proper contraction. So again, going back to that, if you have stress incontinence and you are sneezing, coughing, laughing, jumping, and you're noticing that um, you're losing some urine, if you do a pelvic floor contraction, a Kegel, prior, just prior slash at the same time, as it, so squeeze as you sneeze, it will engage those muscles using those um, fast twitch muscles to get a quick contraction to better support your pelvic floor and reduce that leakage. This also goes for people that are heavy weight lifters. Um, you know, obviously CrossFit is very common these days. They're lifting very heavy. So if you're not properly engaging both your core, your pelvic floor, as you're doing these heavy lifts, Um, we're seeing people have some leakage. Um, and again, it's something we don't want to talk about. And I see all these, you know, they're like the funny memes about, Oh, is that pee or is it sweat? Um, and sadly, that's kind of the world we live in is we, we make jokes about it versus getting it addressed and treated. Um, and so I think in the past people always thought, well, incontinence is something that older women deal with, but the reality is so many young women and men um, this is an issue for and i do have a video here for you all so um, just to show you a quick visualization of what a kegel um, does and can you see that chef aj okay so it's going to do a squeeze and a lift and then back out and i'll play that one more time for you guys so it's a squeeze and a lift and back into a relaxation. Okay. Um, all right. Okay, so going back again look talking about why is it bad to just go when you have the urge. So you, you have to go, you get that first sensation, you have this much urine in, why is it bad to go when you get that first sensation, that first urge? So if you continue to give in to frequent urges when there's only a small amount of urine, um, it's going to reinforce to your body that your bladder's full and it's not. So we don't ever want the bladder to think this or even this is a full bladder because it's not. Um, And so what happens every time you suppress these, you get these urges and so you go to the bathroom, every subsequent urge comes sooner and sooner. So it's resulting in less and less urine to be emptied. Um, This is gonna lead to more frequent trips to the bathroom and you're gonna have little urine output. So it's a very vicious cycle of, well, I get this small little urge, I'm gonna run to the bathroom and go. Uh, But now, oh my gosh, I have to go again because now my body thinks I have a full bladder when I don't. So again, you should be able to wait three to four hours between voiding and void greater than eight ounces, kind of thinking that coffee mug. So the just-in-case voiding, so the JICers, um, this presents the same problem as giving into frequent urges. It leads to urinating when there's less volume of urine. Emptying the bladder will reinforce to the body that the bladder is full when it is not. Leads to frequent urges, increased trips to the bathroom. So let me give you a few examples. Um, I'll give you some personal examples because let's be honest, we all have some, um, or I have some issues, um, which is how I kind of ended up in pelvic PT. So thinking about my kids would get up at night um, and I would be getting up three and four times a night. And all of a sudden I realized every time I got up, I was going to the bathroom. I don't need to go to the bathroom three and four times a night. That wasn't normal, but I was going just in case Well, I was up. So I'm just going to go. It was convenient. Or both of my kids would be napping and I would feel like, okay, I better go to the bathroom because they're going to be up soon. But I realized I only went 20 or 30 minutes ago, but I went just in case. Um, Another common one I hear um, from patients, um, you know, maybe they just went to the bathroom, but they're going to run to the grocery store, run an errand. So they go to the bathroom just in case. Um, even though they just went. And so when we start doing these just-in-case um, voidings, it it um, builds poor habits. And then again, we're going more and more frequently, less and less urine output. Um, and it's a very vicious cycle. So looking at fluid restric- restriction and urge suppression, this is a question I get all the time, or I not necessarily a question, but... Patients tell me I don't drink very much water because I don't wanna have to go to the bathroom. Fluid restriction is not an appropriate form of urge suppression. So I definitely want you guys to take home that message today. Fluid restriction is not an appropriate form of urge suppression. So let's dive into that a little bit deeper. When you're drinking fluids, specifically water, it's important part of maintaining your proper bowel and bladder health. So when you restrict fluids, you're gonna have a more concentrated urine. So think that darker color urine. Um, we talked earlier, concentrated urine is a bladder irritant. So if you have concentrated or urine, it's a bladder irritant. Bladder irritant causes more frequent urges. So in reality, by restricting your fluid intake, you could actually be exacerbating your symptoms of frequent urges. So drink your water, do not be afraid of drinking your water. Um, The other thing looking at that is if you aren't getting enough water, it's also um, leads to UTIs, um, specifically in the older population, which again, we talked about um, that being a huge reason why people are ending up in skilled nursing facilities. So let's talk about bathroom posture here. I'm gonna stop my share and actually put you on my other camera. Okay, so looking at um, bathroom posture, So we want to think about, I have my squatty potty here. So we'll go through the squatty potty first. Obviously everybody does not own one, but I think you all should get one. Um, So when you're going to the bathroom, you want your hips to be below your knees. So knees should be above your hips. Leaning forward slightly, you can rest your forearms on your hips. Getting in this position is gonna allow the pelvic floor to relax and drop um, and allow then that bladder to contract in let your urine come out, versus we don't want you pushing out your urine with your pelvic floor. So in the event you don't have a squatting potty, even coming when you're going to the bathroom and going up on your tiptoes is gonna get your knees higher than they were if they're all the way flat. Other people may have a little step stool in their bathroom, whatever it may be that you have, but just the key is to get your knees up and try to be in a relaxed state. You can also do some nice breathing um, in through the nose, out through the mouth to help with that relaxation. A couple stretches that you can work on um, for the pelvic floor then would be if you want to do a deep squat stretch, this is a really nice stretch to open up the pelvic floor, the adductors, and just really thinking about your breathing a deep breath in through the nose, and out through the mouth. Now, for some people getting in this position would be a little bit too difficult. Um, and so for people like that I'll show you, we have a couple other stretches. So you can do a happy baby. There's a number of different variations. You can be here. If that's a little bit too strenuous, you can come down holding to your knees or even behind your thighs. And again, just trying to open up these adductors that pelvic floor um, for you. Okay, Okay. so again, no pushing urine out, no straining with urination. Um, the other thing, we don't want you squatting and hovering over the toilet. If you're squatting and hovering, I know public bathrooms, I know it's difficult to sit on the toilet. It's, it's gross, <laughs> but the reality is if you're squatting and hovering, you're not able to relax your pelvic floor. Um, and so it's it's not a healthy voiding technique. And again, we don't want you doing any kind of pelvic floor contraction. So no kegels while you're on the toilet. So looking at voiding um, dysfunction. So people can have urinary retention where they're just um, have excessive urine still in the bladder. Um, they're retaining it, it's, it's an overflow. Um, hesitancy, so kind of that dribble, maybe it's a starting and stopping of the urine um, stream, incomplete voiding, so they aren't able to get everything out. They have that post void um, residual there. Urinary frequency, so again, going a lot. And again, I I think for many, they don't realize how often they're even going throughout the day until we really sit down and start to talk about it and they realize, oh my gosh, this is a bigger problem than I even realized um, nocturia. So how many times are you getting up at night? Is it frequent nighttime urination? Um, which again, thinking about those falls, especially as we're aging and then painful urination, it should never be painful to urinate. If it is, we need to, you know, be talking to your doctor, um, your, uro- urogynecologist about that. And then I also just want to add in looking at wiping strategies. So poor wiping strategies are going to lead to urinary tract infections. So we always want to be wiping for women front to back. When you're going back to front, um, increased risk of bacteria, UTIs, um, UTIs then lead to confusion, lead to falls, fractures, and then looking at going to the nursing homes again. And So we really you know, raising the awareness on how, how much we can do to prevent this, um, is huge. So looking at individuals that have a post void dribble. And what I mean by that is you go to the bathroom, you feel like you fully eliminate or fully void. And then when you stand up, there's a little dribble either on the toilet seat or on your underwear. You're like, how did that happen? So you're going from a seated position to standing. So gravity is then pulling. Um, so two common causes for this. So one is pelvic organ prolapse, and I included a picture there. So with that, the vagina in this picture is a seal. Um, There are different types of pelvic organ prolapses, but for this one, the seal, um, it's where the bladder is pushing backwards into the vaginal canal. So you can see right in this little area here um, with my cursor, I hope you can see that, um, you may be able to void everything at the top, but this area at the bottom, then when you go to stand up, it just leaks that last little bit because you change in position, the gravity pulls it down. So kind of with pelvic organ prolapse, if you're curious a little bit more about what this is, um, It's a heaviness. Um, Women will say they feel like they have a wet heaviness in their vagina, feels like there's something falling out of their vagina. Um, It can be pain with intercourse and also really common to have low back pain um, with a pelvic organ prolapse. And so this is very common. Um, Over a third of women will experience a prolapse in their lifetime. It can be your young uh, mom that just had their baby and um, with all the increased pressure um, during labor, they end up with a prolapse or it could be your women in 40s, 50s, 60s that you know maybe they had their babies decades ago, um, but now they're really experiencing these um, problems later on in life. And so it's always interesting. A lot of those women that I see when we start talking about their history, a lot of them had issues in their younger years, but they just assumed it was normal uh, or I'm sorry, assumed it was um, normal, but it's not. It's common, but not normal. And again, we're just trying to get that message across um, that it's the earlier you can start the better um, with pelvic floor PT, but it's also never too late. Um, And then another common cause of why the post-void dribble happens is if you have very hypertonic muscles. So everything is very tight. um, And whenever you go to stand again, just looking at that change in gravity, you can get some leakage. So factors that lead to overactive pelvic floor muscles. And I just want to give you a little visual to kind of think about um, an overactive pelvic floor muscle. So if we take our bicep here, for example, and this is my bicep, I'm really strong in it and I'm right here, right? But I don't have good mobility of it. So I just keep strengthening from here to here to here. And it's super, um, you know, I keep trying to get it stronger and stronger, but I kind of hit a plateau. Um, And then I'm not thinking about, what if I strengthen this whole range, right? If I'm going this whole range, I'm going to get more strength. I'm working the whole range of the muscle. But if you're stuck and you're in a very hypertonic state, you only have this range. So that's where we as pelvic floor physical therapists come in and work on that elongation stage. So then um, you can work on that full range. So thinking specifically about my women um, with stress incontinence. So a lot of them are relatively strong in their Kegel but they don't have the drop or that relaxation phase. So that means they're only able, when they're doing their quick kegel, they're only doing it from here to here versus getting that relaxation and then doing it the whole range. So obviously the the bigger the range, the stronger we're gonna be. Um, And then, so looking at um, our pelvis here and looking at here is our urethra, our vagina, and our rectum. So if we have any kind of asymmetries in our SI joint and our pelvis here, and you can kind of see when I turn this, and obviously this is extremes, but you can see the changes in those muscles and that effect it has in the pole on the pelvic floor. Same thing if we have our coccyx back here and it's getting a flexion or it's a side bend or it's moving in any way, you can see how that changes the relationship of these muscles and how it's gonna flat affect bowel, bladder and sexual function. Um, also looking at habitual postural dysfunction. So we live in a society where many of us are on a computer a lot, or we're driving, commuting, maybe not as much right now um, to work in back, but leads to postural dysfunction, which can contribute to pelvic, overactive pelvic floor muscles. So again, talking about childbirth trauma, so the episiotomies, the tears, the adhesions um, can lead to a very hypertonic pelvic floor any surgical trauma or adhesions, Um, overactive pelvic floor muscles. A lot of times we're seeing people really straining with having bowel movements, leading to hemorrhoids, fistulas, fissures. Um, Sexual abuse can contribute to overactive pelvic floor muscles, Um, anxiety and pelvic infections. And I wanna talk just a little bit more about anxiety. Um, When we look at stress and and anxiety, Um, In our body, typically there's three main places that we hold a lot of stress. So our jaws, our neck and shoulders, and then our pelvic floor. So I challenge you the next time you are feeling really stressed or having a lot of anxiety, take a little body scan, think about how's my jaw, how are my neck and shoulders? How is my pelvic floor feeling? Um, And you may start to identify like, wow, I do have a lot of tightness in my pelvic floor that I didn't realize is there. And there is a huge connection Um, between the central nervous system um, and looking at specifically the sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system and their relationship to the pelvic floor. And so that's a whole nother area that we provide a lot of education um, to our patients on. Okay, so management of incontinence. So I like to have my patients fill out um, what's called a bladder diary. So there's an example of one in the photo here. It's going to talk about um, how much liquid you're drinking and what kind of liquid, um, you know, water, coffee, tea, soda, whatever it might be. How many trips to the bathroom? Um, how much urine is coming out? Is it a small, medium or large? Do you have a leak? Is it, and how much is it a small, medium or large? And then the urge, um, is it a strong urge? Did you just feel like it was time to go? Um, did you go just in case? And How did you get to the bathroom? Were you running, walking? Was it calm or were you panicking? I'm not going to make it in time. Um, So, looking at management of incontinence, looking at behavioral changes. So, lifestyle changes are going to be a big one. Bladder training. And so, looking at scheduled voiding. And what I mean by that is say, After you fill out your bladder journal or diary, you find that you're going to the bathroom maybe every 30 minutes. Well, we want to schedule increments to increase that to get you to that normal three to four hour range. So we would start by saying, okay, you're at 30 minutes. Let's try to set a timer for 45 minutes. Once you're successful with that for a couple days, then we'll try to increase it to an hour. So, Try to I- increase by increments of 15 minutes. If somebody gets to an increment, like it was just too much, I couldn't do it. Okay, we'll take a step backwards, reduce it a little bit and then add that back in until we're working up to that three to four hour range. Um, so pel- pelvic muscle re-education, biofeedback. So again, that's where we're coming in and teaching people how to properly recruit and um, the coordination of their pelvic floor muscles in conjunction with um, functional movements and how they're supposed to be properly working. Other options that we're not going to go into today, but there are pessaries. Um, those are fitted by your doctor. Um, there's drug therapy, surgical interventions that can also be used for the management. So we need to think outside the box. When you are looking at the pelvic floor dysfunction and um, you know the relationship to the rest of the body, um, I challenge you because when we look at the, for example, if you inhibit the abdominal wall, the best pelvic floor contraction is 25% of your max. So what that tells me is if you're not able to engage your core muscles properly, um, you're only getting 25% max effort out of your pelvic floor. So when we think about our people that are doing these high intensity activities, they're coughing, they're sneezing, um, they're not able to get a good pelvic floor muscle contraction to support, um, and that leads to the leakage. So we really wanna look at that coordinated motion movement between all aspects of the canister. Um, 52% of women with pelvic floor dysfunction had a combination of both low back pain and pelvic floor dysfunction. So that's a pretty high number. Um, And so we need to always be looking back pelvic floor connection. And then looking at the pelvis, there's 35 muscles that attach to it. That is a lot. There is a lot of input coming from a lot of different places. So looking at length tension relationship um, and how it's all working as a unit. We need to consider functional strength and activities. So looking at squatting, lifting, and that could be your, whether you're doing heavy lifting heavy squatting, or you're bending down to pick up your newborn baby, um, or you're bending down to pick up your puppy dog, whatever it may be, we need to look at that relationship. Because when we're just looking at exercises on a table, and you can do them great, wonderful. That's a great foundation. It's a great starting point, but we need to take it to the next level and look at those functional positions because you're not laying on a table all day. You're active, you're moving, um, in all directions, all, all planes of motion. And so that's where we want to be looking functionally for you. So looking at physical therapy and pelvic floor muscle training, um, looking at the pelvic floor muscles, you have slow twitch and fast twitch. And, so looking at the slow twitch muscles, it makes up, uh, I'm sorry, slow twitch fibers, it makes up 70% of the muscles. So this is more of your supportive. Um, you're gonna do your kegels for those five to 10 second. Holds for 10 reps. When you're looking at your fast twitch um, fibers, that accounts for about 30%. These are your uh, quick motions. So you're sneezing, you're coughing, you're jumping. We want you to be able to engage and hold that very quick um, pelvic floor contraction And so looking at that one to two seconds. um, And so for us as pelvic floor PTs, um, we are looking um, at your contraction, both your quick and your longer holds, looking at endurance, and then again, linking it with the breath. We wanna look for correct recruitment. How um, is the fatigability and the intensity of the contraction um, to make sure that you're properly um, recruiting your pelvic floor muscles. So some changes that you can make. Um, We talked about kind of the lifestyle um, behavioral changes, starting with mindful meditation and stress management. And this is a big one for many patients with pelvic floor dysfunction. So looking at body scans, mindful yoga, just some sitting, walking, breathing, meditation, some Zen, just trying to very much calm that nervous system um, and relax. We live in a very fast paced, often stressful um, society. And so taking some time to um, relax is just, it's crucial for us. Um, Looking at lifestyle changes. So we already touched a lot on avoiding or reducing those bladder irritants. Um, And consider your nighttime routine. If you find you are getting up a lot at night, how much water are you drinking near the end of the day? You know, after 7 PM or maybe 6 PM, how much water do you drink in that period? If you find it's quite a lot, maybe um, move that up in your day. So that way you're then not having to get up as frequently at night. And then looking at weight loss of just 10% can improve your bladder, bladder symptoms by 40%. So there are medical tests to diagnose incontinence. So the post void residual test, um, this is done either with, um, you can use a catheter or a uh, ultrasound. And so after you urinate, they would test then to check the residual volume in the bladder to see, are you fully voiding or is there an actual um, output problem? And then a stress pad test, they're just assessing the leakage. Um, So they're gonna weigh the test before a stress um, activity and then after and account how much leakage or how the difference in the weight. And then your analysis, this is just to rule out infection of, of a number of sorts. So thinking about surgical considerations um, for incontinence, there are bulking procedures. They're using often collagen, it's outpatient, it's very conservative, takes about five minutes. Um, So that's looking very conservatively. There's also sling procedures, which are the most common surgery. Um, There's a bladder neck suspension, um, and interstim placement, which is the photo on the left. That is a pacemaker for your bladder. Um, It's a neuromodulation for sacral nerve roots. So that would be more on the, you know, extreme side um, if the more conservative options didn't work. So some medical considerations for incontinence, Um, consider the side effects of medications you're taking. Um, A lot of us, um, you know, we have a several or maybe a lot of medications in our cabinet and we don't even really know what the side effects are. And so take a look, talk to your pharmacist, Find out what, if maybe that is contributing to your symptoms of incontinence. And then just know that there are medications. There are options for medications um, to help treat incontinence, but that's a little bit beyond what we're going to talk about today. And then also looking at the hormones. So again, the menopause, um, pregnancy, breastfeeding during that phase, um, your estrogen is lower. Estrogen is a vasodilator. It's going to plump up the tissue. And so I have a little visual to share here for you of what that kind of means. So I have two pieces of um, tissue paper. This is very thick. So this is my healthy um, tissue. Let me see if I can. Okay, and then I have this rock my son painted. This is our bladder. So if I bring it in here and I'm holding it here, you can see it's very sturdy. It's supporting my bladder. I can even do a little bounce test. It's not really moving. Um, So thinking about I'm jumping on a trampoline and yep, I'm good. I'm able to maintain it. I have healthy tissue. Now I take this thin little piece of pelvic floor tissue. So I'm thinking about, again, women in um, with low estrogen. So menopause, pregnancy, um, breastfeeding stages. And I take that same rock and you can already see it's like kind of and I try to bounce it around and it's all over the place, right? These are the women that um, are really struggling with um, that stress incontinence. So they're having the leakage with their everyday activities, whether it's your new mom um, or it's your, your post, um, you know, post-menopause, perimenopause, menopause, um, trying to jump on the trampoline with their older child. And then the next thing you know, their child is saying, mom, you peed your pants. And this literally happens. Um, so it's not made up. This is everyday stuff, um, that needs to be addressed. All right. Okay. So what do we do? So as pelvic floor physical therapist, we are going to um, do an internal assessment. We want to take a look at how you're recruiting your pelvic floor muscles, that length tension relationship, linking it with your breathing pattern, looking at your posture, the strength and stability, your movement patterns, your voiding techniques. Um, And ultimately our goal is we want to empower you to take control and become the CEO of your own body. We want to teach you how you can then help care for yourself and Um, manage and overcome your symptoms of incontinence. So again, don't suffer from incontinence. There's so much we can do. The earlier, the better, but it is never too late. Um, And I know right now, obviously, with um, everything going on in the world, there is a lot more telehealth being being done. We actually have done telehealth for years. This has been a part of our program in reaching people, not only across the U.S., but across the world. Um, and so we um, so maybe, yeah, so we have been doing this for a long time. So if you aren't local, don't hesitate to reach out to us. And if you are local, we are here to support you. Um, this is a problem that affects so many and there's so much we can do and we're very passionate about helping, helping you on your own personal journey.
0: That you you look so young. How do you know all
1: this? i know chef aj i've been a pt over 10 years um but i have patients ask me sometimes when i graduated if i graduated high school recently i'm like well there's a lot of schooling <laughs> oh my god well you look incredible and you know i was just saying on, the,
0: on an earlier episode how i literally learned something new every day i do this show i have never Love heard of a, of a pessary maybe you could explain <laughs> what that is and how that might help somebody with urinary incontinence
1: yeah, so a pessary is something that a doctor is going to fit you for. Um, it can be used when you have pelvic organ prolapse. Um, it is pushed up into the vaginal um, opening, and then it's going to be used to better support the vaginal canal. So that way, if you have a prolapse, whether it's coming in from the front as a cystocele or the bladder falling into the va- vagina, or from the back, which is a rectocele, and it falls in from the back um, into the vagina, so um, it's gonna help support it. Uh, essentially think of it like a tampon, um, but, a little, but a medical grade, um, it's made to stay in there um, to help with stability. Nice. So people, when they say Kegels didn't work for
0: them, is it possible that they're doing them incorrectly because you gave an example of how to correctly do
1: that? 100%. Just yesterday I had a woman who came in and she said, I've been doing all the Kegels online. I watched every, you know, I've subscribed and bought all these programs and X, Y, Z. Um, you know, but I don't know, the Kegel doesn't work for me. And I said, okay, well, let's take a look. Let's see how you're doing it. And it, the, her coordination, she did not know how to coordinate the movement. And so, just by having, um, you know, that's why it's so important to have a pelvic floor specialist to actually see how you're doing it, um, because research shows most women are not doing it correctly. And so, that's something that we absolutely see every day, and we are able to help train them and teach them how to do it correctly. It's the same as if you think about your weightlifting and looking at your posture, Um, you know, oh, I'm doing an overhead press or whatever it might be. And you need someone to help teach you your posture to correct it. It's the same thing, but we're in a cave down there. (laughs) You know, it was so interesting, uh, Mandy, because weight loss is a subject that's near and dear to
0: me. I host a summit called the truth about weight loss. And I had no idea that even losing 10% of your body weight could help with Incontinence. I had never knew that.
1: It's just the pressure. So when you have all that extra um, pressure, and then also looking at the strength and stability of the pelvic floor. Uh, but yeah, research studies have shown up to forty um, percent reduction. Yeah.
0: In- that, well, that's another great reason for people that yeah, maybe healthy. if they're having this to lose <laughs> weight. And yeah, I love what you said though because I, you know, I, I, every urologist I've ever talked to, either as a patient or interviewed, said caffeine. Is not your friend if you have any urinary issues. Yeah.
1: And I get many patients. You know, they want their cup of coffee, and I get it. Um, but they'll say, if I don't drink my cup of coffee, I don't have a problem. If I have a cup of coffee, I have a problem. And so it's kind of, you have to decide what are you willing to do to make this not be an issue for you. Um, and, and as you know, you, you live a plant-based diet. So um, some people look at that as being extreme. Some people look at taking away a cup of coffee a day as, as extreme, but we all need to find what is healthy and best for our body to allow us to live the life we wanna live and the he- for to just health. Um, you know, that's The one thing my husband and I talk about all the time is health is so important and we just have to take care of ourselves.
0: I don't know, for me, coffee or peeing in my pants, I'm going <laughs> to choose not peeing in my pants, personally. You so <laughs> <laughs> Mary, who's watching live, says, what do you think of hormone replacement cream for being told that the pelvic floor muscles look menopausal? She she has no urinary incontinence. Because I, I do believe, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping to get Dr. Kevin Shandara at Eisenhower. He's just an amazing urologist on the show, if he has the time. But he's talked about how the esterase the can help with exactly. some of those issues, even if somebody isn't incontinent. I forget why, what he said though, because yes. it was a lot.
1: So It definitely can help. It can help plump up the tissue, which helps with that vascularity. Um, it's gonna make it a healthier. So again, thinking back to this, it doesn't even have to be the fact that you're incontinent, but just the overall stability, because as we age, Um, you know, there are changes in our body. Looking at that estrogen creams, we have many patients that use it to help plump up the tissue um, and bring more blood supply to the area. So we absolutely see that daily and um, recommend it. The other thing is when you have um, a loss of estrogen, you can have a reabsorption of your labia. And what happens with that is if you have a reabsorption of of the labia, which is essentially that skin that sits to close the vagina, Um, It's a little bit more open. It's increased risk of infection. Um, And so by having that nice plump tissue helps to close it off, keeps the vaginal canal closed, reduces the risk of infection. So yes.
0: Great. So Linda says, can pelvic floor dysfunction cause constipation?
1: yes and so actually linda you should tune into chef aj's um gi health summit Summit. so we presented on constipation so absolutely pelvic floor dysfunction um there's a number of different things but so when we look at um, here is your external anal sphincter around your anus here. And then looking internally, here is your rectum here. If the muscles are tight, um, it is going to close off or make it very hard to, um, pass stool. And so looking at, um, relaxing that pelvic floor, also looking at the abdomen and how that, um, looking at your colon. So you have your ascending, your transverse, your descending into your sigmoid colon. How is all of that transit working? Um, so that's absolutely something that Pelvic Floor Physical Therapy can help you with.
0: Yeah. So. When you know you, I got the squatty potty. Like literally, after interviewing you and Julie, I, we ordered it that day. It came. We got two of them. Game changer. And it, and it's not even about if you have problems. It's it yes. just, I. It's like it, it's like yes. making pooping great again. But I didn't realize. Are you supposed to use it
1: for urination as well? You can absolutely use it for both because the whole purpose of it is to relax your pelvic floor and get you in an optimal position. So, um, when you're urinating, you still want that pelvic floor to relax in addition to when you're defecating. So absolutely. Um, I recommend a squatty potty for every here at the clinic. We keep it in our bathroom for every single patient to use, whether it's, um, you know, voiding defecating, absolutely recommend it.
0: Dr. Shandara said, at least for me, the best way for me to pee was like, he had me like leaning forward with my elbows on my knees. Yes.
1: yes.
0: Not, and that was how he taught me how, it's like he taught yep. me how to pee. I, I knew how to pee, but he said that, <laughs> that would be a, a good way for me to pee.
1: Yeah, I definitely recommend that. <laughs>
0: That is so cool. I think you've talked about this, but just because she took the time to write in, I'd like to ask Robin's question. She said, is there anything else I can do for uterine prolapse? I have a pessary in place, but it causes me to get up multiple times during the night to use the bathroom. I'm assuming that now there's nothing more I can do about it. And I don't want to have a hysterectomy because I'm not a fan of surgery.
1: Yeah. So Robin, what I recommend um, is to get in to see a local pelvic um, floor PT because Just because um, you have a prolapse um, and you're using your pessary, we wanna look at the other stabilizing structures. So looking even hips, core, how is your breathing pattern? How is your pelvic floor? What does the strength look like? And so those are all things that we want to analyze and um, discuss with you on your personal case. be able to help you because I agree jumping to surgery and, you know, some people are very against it. Um, some people jump to it very quickly and then sometimes wish they hadn't. So we, you know, as PTs, we're obviously very conservative in um, looking at a holistic approach. And so there's a lot that we can do in the treatment of prolapse. So I encourage you to get in with your local PT. And and this isn't just for women. You, you can treat men too, Right. Yes, so incontinence is more common in female than men just because of the anatomy. So men have two curves in their um, urethra coming down versus women, Um, so it is less common, but it's still one in 10 men um, do have um, incontinence, more common with like BPH or prostate issues. Um, But yes, we absolutely treat men, um,
0: men and women. Thank you. Shira says, I got a bladder suspension 23 years ago when I had a partial hysterectomy. It did not require any incision. What advances have been made in case I need another one done?
1: Um, So, you know, there's a lot of different options. Um, They're going, looking at the different options, um, you would want to speak with your local uh, urogynecologist, but um, looking as far as they're doing the inner stem. That's like an, um, the neuromodulation. It's like a pacemaker for your bladder. They're also doing suspension surgeries, um, going in both vaginally and through the abdominal wall. Um, so for your case specifically, um, I don't have a great answer, but, um, you know, talk to your local urogynecologist um, for more information.
0: You know, that whole thing you talked about, you know, I know it's not good to hold it, but man, public restrooms are just
1: Oh. Oh. I know it's, and I guess that's the one thing of being home more, or most people are home more right now. But what I also find with that is um, people are um, going to the bathroom more frequently because they're bored. So you think about, um, when you're bored sometimes, or at least for me, maybe I'm the only one I go to the kitchen because I'm bored. And I think, what am I hungry for? And then I realize I'm not even hungry. I'm just bored. And it's the same thing with going to the bathroom. People, um, will go to the bathroom. Like, wait, I didn't even really have to go. I was just bored. Mm -hmm. I wanted to, I was in the middle of a board meeting. I wanted to get up or whatever it might be. Um, they're sick of all their Zoom conference calls for work. Um, you know, yeah. it's funny. I, I do that. I, I call it pre-peeing because I'm always worried I'm going to have to
0: pee somewhere that I don't want to pee, so I pre-pee. Yeah. Which,
1: You're adjusting just in caseer, Faj. At least, at least,
0: at least I have a proper diagnosis now. So there's some really technical questions here. I've never heard of this. So Nancy says, "Well, I'm sure you have, but can you reverse a rectocele, cystocele with Kegels?"
1: Um, Yeah. So looking at rectocele, cystocele. So are you going to reverse it? Don't know. Can we reduce your symptoms? Yes. Um, So a rectocele is when the um, rectum is falling in from the back into the vagina. Cystocele is when the um, bladder is falling into the vagina. So we're going to be looking a lot at the stabilization, looking at Um, not only kegels, but also your core um, hip strength and stability. And then when does it bother you? Is it during certain motions? Is it all the time? Um, Those are important questions that we would want to know to be able to um, better um, give specific things for you.
0: Great. And then there's another one here from Jill. uh, Words I cannot pronounce. Can you talk about diastasis recti?
1: yeah so the diastasis recti that is across the abdomen so this is very common after pregnancy um both during pregnancy they say by full term um some studies show up to hundred percent of women will have dra and so what it is is it's a separation of your rectus abdominis muscle because thinking about when you're having your baby Um, everything stretching. For some people, it will come back together and get a nice little closure. Other people, it takes a little bit longer. So what's considered normal in the literature is a two-finger, and you're going to test for it by if you're lying down, and you would do a small kind of crunch up like this, and you're going to feel right along, I can show you, right along your belly button. You're going to check here at your belly button, above and below. Um, Looking at two fingers being normal what we are even more concerned about is how deep what does it feel like what is the tension how has that linea alba closed and so again looking at if you don't if you have a dra we know there's some dysfunction in your core stabilization because you don't have a proper closure Um, so we want to be addressing that whole canister so that diaphragm on the top pelvic floor on the bottom the transverse the core in the front, and then those multifidi muscles in the back. But yes, very, very common, but um, not normal. We need to get that treated.
0: Right. Janet says, I live in a small town in North Carolina. Where do you find a pelvic physical therapist? If they can't find anybody, you said you can do a, a, a telemedicine appointment with them. And also, does somebody just go to you directly or do they get a referral first from like their gynecologist or surgeon or urologist? Can people just show up?
1: Yes. So both. So here in California, we have direct access. So anyone can walk through our door, and we can see them that day, Um, or we have patients referred over by their gynecologist, their urogyns, you know, urologists, a number of different resources. for small towns, um, what I recommend is just going and re- looking online. Um, you can look through Pelvic Rehab. They have a database that tells you local or tells you of pelvic floor physical therapists if anyone has um, registered. Um, that's through the Herman and Wallace Institute, um, which is a big, kind of a big, a lot of educational Um, for pelvic floor PTs. So I come from a very small town of 600 people. So I understand. Thankfully, we do have a pelvic floor PT um, in the area that I live um, back in Ohio or where I'm from, I should say. Um, But yeah, finding someone local um, and you may have to drive a little bit and that's completely worth it. Or like Chef AJ said, we've done telehealth for years. We are happy to um, link up with you and help you with your problems. Great.
0: Tiffany says, I'm getting an interstim bladder stimulator device later in September for a neurogenic bladder due to surgical complications last year. I'm 29 years old and we are in uncharted waters because we have to think about how everything will work over time. Have you ever had a case like this? If not, what experiences with the interstim device itself? I just want to say that I had a neurogenic bladder. I was in a very bad accident when I was 22 and paralyzed and in a body cast for a year. And it was like a nightmare. And so I, I still sympathize with that because it's terrible. Like if you see a comedy, boom, you know, you just can't You, know, you, yeah, you laugh, you pee.
1: Right, right. So looking at inner stim, um, yes, it's that neuromodulation. Essentially, it's a pacemaker for the bladder. Um, looking long-term, we don't know yet, especially given you are, you know, I believe Chef AJ said 29. So um, looking long-term, one, I highly recommend you get in with your logo, local Um, pelvic floor physical therapist. So they can look at what does your pelvic floor feel like? Um, Do you have hypertonicity? Is it hypotonic? And then looking at the relationship of what does your um, core look like, your hip stability, uh, because it is, it's a full body system that we need to be addressing. We're not just looking at these few muscles, In here, we are looking at the whole system because there's such a connection um, in treating the whole person versus just the muscles. Right.
0: Debbie says, I had a terrible UTI in November and never totally recovered. Some days I feel normal, other days pressure and just feel uncomfortable in the vaginal urinary area. Could that be pelvic floor problem?
1: Absolutely. So um, often we'll see, and I don't know in Debbie's case, but sometimes we'll see patients, they come in, they say, oh, I've had frequent UTIs. Other pa- and some of them have been confirmed with the urinalysis. Others say, oh, I just know what it feels like now. I didn't go get it cultured. So we want to know, is it a true UTI or not? And then um, looking at if you're having that pain, um, we want to get feel the integrity of the muscles to see what the dysfunction, if there is dysfunction, which I expect there would be, um, and then to again, teach you how to, um, take control and, and be able to, to not only manage, but, um, treat your symptoms
0: and adore your floor,
1: adore your pelvic floor. (laughs) That's a great
0: shirt. Do you sell those? It's adorable. Uh,
1: you know, we have them here in the clinic. Um, I don't think we actually sell them, but I think we should. <laughs> I love
0: it. So, you know, you mentioned wiping front to back. Is, is, like, do those wipey things, are those helpful? Like with people, like, you know, I, I don't know what they're called. Like not tucks, but, you know, is, is it better to just use toilet paper? Is there like a best thing to wipe with to make yeah. sure you-
1: no not necessarily a best thing to wipe with it's just important always front to back because when you go even um back to front when you go back to front you have a chance of bringing some of the feces bacteria into the vaginal canal and opening and so um you know this is something that I honestly didn't really, I, I've always done it that way, but I never really thought about it till I had my daughter. And then, you know, when you're at the hospital, they're very much like, make sure you wipe front to back for the babies or they will end up with UTIs and it's the same. And when we look at people as they get older, obviously the older population is more at risk of, of UTIs. And a lot of it is they're sitting in a wet pad, a wet diaper, so there's just more bacteria. And then they're ending up with these um, urinary tract infections which result in falls often. Confusion. And
0: confusion, I always I used to work at a retirement home and whenever a resident was confused, the first thing we did was check their urine. Well, I wonder why that does cause confusion. It doesn't seem so much maybe in the younger population, but in the older population, that seems to be a big uh, symptom. No,
1: yeah, exactly. In the older population, that's the number one thing when they're, they start having confusion, they're going to test for a UTI. Um, and with that confusion, um, you know, they're, they're, they can't remember how to do things properly. And so they're more at risk of both hurting themselves, whether it's a fall or, you know, just not making great choices because they don't know what's what they're doing.
0: <laughs> well, you are amazing. I mean, if I needed a consult, I would definitely have one with you. And we have one of your coworkers, Julie coming on. I don't know what the topic is very soon too. Cause I just, I fell in love with you guys from the summit. You guys were just so yeah. passionate. I yeah. mean, who, I, I've never met anybody so passionate about the pelvic floor.
1: Yeah, you know, for me, Chef AJ, um, my my journey into the pelvic floor, I was, was an ortho PT. That was my route and I was, you know, in it. And then I had my kiddos and my life changed and it was um, some very, very dark days. Um, but thankfully, through the support of my husband and um, I found certain PT as a patient and they literally changed my life and that's why I am here today. And that's why I feel very strongly to bring education um, and awareness that these are taboo topics. They are common, but they are not normal and we need to change that.
0: Well, we got to stop that's why i do things like this in the summit It's we got to take the shame away from like yes. like normal bodily functions you know last question it is from susanna can if, if the incontinence comes from parkinson's disease can any of these treatments help yeah
1: that's- so looking looking at the neurological component um you know it can there are still changes we can make. So just because somebody has Parkinson's disease doesn't mean that we can't improve the coordination and timing of their pelvic floor and um, their muscle stabilization. So I would still absolutely encourage her to seek help.
0: Yeah. Great. Thank you so much. I really love talking to you. You're just so, gosh, you're just, you don't look like you're are even old enough to be doing this, but uh, you look great and thank you so much for just a wonderful presentation. And I encourage anyone with any pelvic floor problems to get help, if if not a consultation with Mandy. there probably is someone in your area. you just don't know that. and you can always ask your doctor usually and a urologist, and a gynecologist, they generally know these these specialists and they're wonderful and they can help you. And also we didn't talk about this, but one of the things you help with also the uh, sexual dysfunction.
1: Yes, and so that's something Julie's gonna be discussing um, in a couple of weeks on your live show. She's gonna be covering um, pain with sex. So that will be a big topic. Um that you guys won't wanna miss.
0: Absolutely, we won't. Well, thank you so much, Mandy. It's just been a wonderful presentation. And thank you guys for watching another episode of Chef AJ Live. I see some questions on how we can access Mandy and Julie's uh, talk about constipation. For that, you're going to have to sign up for the GI Health Summit. So make sure you're on my mailing list because that's coming very, very soon. And please come back tomorrow at 11 a.m. when Dr. Jessica Krant, a board-certified plant-based dermatologist, will be answering your questions on- Skin health. Take care, Mandy. All
1: right.